Ralph Velasco is a travel organizer, photographer, former restaurant owner, very interesting past and what he does now with travel. He's traveled to five continents. He arranges tours. He's got great tips on what to do when you travel. He's got a great podcast on YouTube called Continental Drifter. Uh, it's very, very interesting. We uh, share tips on some of the fears a lot of Americans have of going to Europe and going to Asia. Uh, really, really interesting interview and discussion about just traveling, uh, some tips to, to get around, uh, not only domestically, but internationally. I share some of the, some happened in my youth when uh, you know, my father sent me to Italy at 10 years old by myself and some tips that I've seen. And Ralph's got a lot of great insight on tours and, and what to do and the culture and the cultural awareness. Many of us uh, go to countries and we're not uh, careful about, you know, how we're, we should only be perceiving and be part of and uh, not, not do anything uh, to deter that at all. But uh, uh, traveling great, great conversation with Ralph Velasco. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, hypertension. I knew something had to change, discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. So where in the world do we find you, Mr. Ralph Velasco? <laughs> uh, in Rockford, Illinois. Rock and Rockford. Because <laughs> you're a Chicago boy, yeah. right? But you, you are something that you say that I long to be location independent. That's right. Yep, I'm uh, leaving on Thursday for a couple months. Wow. So when I'm in between trips, I stay with family here in Chicagoland. And where are you going for a couple of months? Yeah, I'm uh, starting out in Spain for about three weeks. I'll be in uh, Puglia, Italy. I'll be then in the Dordogne region of France. And these are three group trips. Wow. And after that, I'm doing Armenia and Georgia with the group. And then after that, I hope to either go to Greece or possibly Sicily. My goodness. Yeah. Is this a typical stint? Yeah, it is uh, when there's not a pandemic. So this is the first time I'm traveling like this in about uh, close to two years. Wow. But I've had a couple. Uh, I just did two back-to-back trips to Costa Rica with groups. And um, 
and I went to Nicaragua, did some scouting, went to Turkey. So I've gotten around a little bit, but this is my, uh, I'm going nuts with these four trips back to back like this. A, a good it, friend of mine just came back from Turkey. He raved about it. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's what everybody yeah, the best said. Time. I was there for two months last October, November. Wow. Yeah, I was there for two months. Yeah. Wow. So you're supposed to go for three weeks and then I extended it because I was having such a great time. Everybody loves it there. Everybody says great things. So you're a, you're a travel expert, obviously. You're a photographer. I, your, your photographs on Instagram are just stunning. Just stunning. Uh, you're a tour organizer. You're a, you used to own restaurants. You, I, I, your story about how you kind of went into the finance industry and then it kind of came to an end and you kind of made this full time. Tell us about it, please. It's fascinating. Yeah, so I've uh, started out uh, doing a lot of different things. I, I, I often joke that uh, I it might be easier to tell you what I haven't done than what I have done over my career. But uh, now I've owned several restaurants, and I um, be, finally became a financial advisor. I was looking for a way to get back out to Southern California to, to start my walking tours, photo walking tours. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you come out and work for me? Uh, he was a financial advisor and get my licenses. And, I, you know, at least I'd have a job when I got out there and started this business. And so little by uh, little, I did that uh, and did it for three years from 2005 to 2008. And then we had the financial crisis in September of 2008. And that was actually the best thing ever happened to me, Really, uh, even though I was a financial advisor. But uh, that, that was the kick in the pants that I needed to to, to do this full time, and uh, kind of burn the burn the boats and no looking back. I had to make it work. So there's a travel reference. Cortez used to burn the boats so they he couldn't go back to Spain. Very very interesting that that term. But you were owned restaurants, and you say you wanted to get back to Southern California to continue walking tours. How, how do you go from restaurants to doing these this kind of tours? Well, I grew up in the restaurant, excuse me, I, I grew up in the restaurant industry of a third generation restaurateur in Chicago. And uh, out of college, I had a, a Chicago hot dog stand, which is not a cart. You know, some people think I'm standing on the corner with a cart, although my grandfather did that. Hmm. Um, but I uh, had a small 27 seat restaurant in my hometown. And I and I loved it. It was a nice little moneymaker and uh, great food. And uh, it was kind of right up my alley, and uh, that I ended up selling that, and then I took a round-the-world trip for five months back when I was 24, and I uh, went to like 15 countries on five continents, and that was an amazing adventure, as you can imagine. This was 1988, uh, before the internet, before cell phones, practically before the wheel, <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, but that was a great experience, as you can imagine. And then I came back and I did some real estate and, uh, gosh, some other things. Uh, moved out to California for the first time and worked for a friend of mine in his restaurant business. And boy, oh boy, a lot of different things. Uh, ended up moving to Mexico City to get my MBA because uh, I felt like I wanted to catch up with my cohorts um, because I'd always been entrepreneurial and, you know, kind of didn't have that big business experience. Uh, turns out that's doesn't mean a whole lot, <laughs> you know, anyway. Um, 
but I, I moved down there and uh, ended up moving back to San Diego, moved to, to San Diego to uh, finish up my degree there where the school was based. And, uh, and then I did a couple other things. Then I moved back to Chicago and that's when I opened my second restaurant. And uh, I had that for three years. I was coming to the end of my three-year lease and I had to decide, was I going to sign for another five years or am I going to uh, do something different? And so I literally took a pad of you know, yellow paper and on the left side, I wrote the pros and on the left, on the right side, the cons of what I was doing. And, you know, the cons were uh, yeah, I had to have employees. I had to have a, a physical space that was very expensive, and that rent due came that rent came due every single month. And uh, you know, I was I was feeding people something that could make them sick, and so a lot of different things like that. And I said, I want to do the opposite of those. I don't want employees. I want to work for myself. I want to work wherever I am. Which at that time, two thousand three four was. You know, of course, people were doing it for centuries, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a new con. I don't even think that digital nomad or that term location independent was a thing yet. And uh, but I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted that freedom of being an entrepreneur and kind of working from wherever I was because, you know, that five thousand dollar rent came due every single month. And, wow. uh, you know, whether business was good or bad. And so. Uh, I, I kind of decided that uh, the way to do this was, uh, you know, maybe a cr- create these walking tours, these photo walking tours. People were starting to get digital cameras. Those were just a new thing. And so I figured, well, I bet people would be interested in learning how to use these new digital devices. And uh, at the time I was living in Chicago, beautiful city for walking tours and photography. But of course, we've got the winter and yeah, so, for about five months. Yeah. Four or five exactly. Months. Yeah. So that, that's a big chunk out of your year, you know, if yeah. you're trying to do, you know, make a living. So that's when I decided to figure out how to get back to Southern California where I could do this year round. Very interesting. So it really started with walking tours, but I mean, I watch your videos and you are in Morocco. You're like, you mentioned in different parts of Europe, you're in, I mean, you're all over the world and, uh, like, here's a, a question, and I see one of your one of your one of your points are cultural awareness. How important is it that you know when Americans specifically we go to these places and we're we have to understand their culture? We don't want to disrupt it. We want to observe. Yeah, and no, I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, we go to these places, and you're right. We want to. I want to immerse myself in the place. I want to take in their culture. I don't want to somehow try to impart my culture on them. And so that's what I try to do with my trips and my tours is uh, encourage my clients. You know, let's go there. Let's immerse ourselves in this place. Learn about it. Uh, sure, we're maybe going to find some things that uh, aren't like they are back home, but that's why we travel. And, uh, you know, let's not try to change the place. And, you know, because a lot of times you you see things, you're like, well, why don't they do it this way? You know, why don't they do it our way? And well, you know, we're not there to change it. Uh, This culture probably has been around for a lot longer than the U.S. And uh, we don't know how to do everything perfectly. So uh, 
let's go there and, you know, and uh, absorb the culture instead of trying to impart ours on someone else. Very important fact. I think a lot of Americans, they're so used to traveling in the U.S. where things are similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're similar. And uh, uh, how important, I mean, can you truly, um, or should I ask it this way, to get a deeper knowledge of the culture, language is part of it and knowing and understanding their language is part of it but it'll be hard for americans obviously to make that change we're not we're not subjected to languages like europeans are where they're so close but to truly get inside and understand a culture you should know at least some of the language would you agree yeah and uh you know the a lot of the places that i go to it's virtually impossible to to learn more than just a couple words i mean cambodia uh, republic of georgia um, you know, it's so many India, so many different places, but if you can learn the basics, thank you. Hello. Uh, nice to meet you. How are you? The numbers from one to 10, you know, um, can I, can I have a beer? <laughs> you know, all the, all the basics, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, um, the, if people see that you're making an effort to try to speak their language, they're extremely friendly. And, uh, you know, so, uh, and, and if you have an opportunity, if you're going to be a, in a place for a period of time and you perhaps you're moving to a place, certainly makes sense to start taking some classes and using some different apps that may help you to learn the language. Really important. But um, I think sometimes people use that as an excuse not to travel hmm. is that, you know, I don't speak the language. So how, you know, how I can't go to this place. Well, I don't speak the language in 90% of the countries that I go to, but it's not going to keep me from going there. Uh, and even if the people don't speak a whole lot of English, uh, you know, there's so many different international languages with, you know, sign language and just hand gestures and things like that. I've gotten by everywhere around the world. Um, no problem. So uh, to me, that's part of the fun of it. Heck, there's there's parts in the U.S. that I don't understand the language, but uh, <laughs> and there's so there are some cultures who actually perhaps get a little offended if you don't at least try in the language. I, I know Paris kind of has that reputation. Where what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think uh, you know there might be some people around the world that you know. I think it's um, you know because I think the French do get a bad rap when it comes to that, but. I try to put myself in their position. If I, you know, if I'm sitting in my restaurant, you know, 10, 20 years ago and someone comes in and they just start speaking whatever their language is from back home, how could they possibly expect me to know that language? Right. And I think it's very presumptuous of us to go in somewhere and just start blabbering out in English, assuming that everyone speaks our language, you know? Yes, it's probably the, the, the language of business around the world. A lot of people do speak English. We're very, very lucky to have been born into uh, the English language. And uh, because uh, many, many people want to learn English, I think it's the, it's the language of business. It's, uh, I try to encourage the little kids that I meet, especially around the world, to, to learn English, to help them with different words, because I think that's one of the best ways that people can advance themselves is to learn English uh, because it is the language of, of business and it is so widely spoken, but we can't just assume 
that people speak our language. And uh, so I will, that's another phrase that I'll learn is, do you speak English mm. in their language? Uh, Parlez-vous Francais? You know, so many different uh, ways that you can learn that. And then that just shows the person. It's like someone coming into my restaurant and saying, you know, do you speak uh, Arabic or something? And, you know, I would say, no, I don't. I'm sorry. And, you know, we just continue the conversation uh, somehow. And most Europeans can tell an American a mile away. Uh, so, you know, some, you know, they, they make that presumption. So why are so many Americans hesitant to go to Europe or to go to non-English speaking countries? Is it purely the language? Is it also the culture? Is there a stigma? Do you see that? I think it's the news, mm. you know, uh, you watch the news at all and it's, you know, I was in uh, Cairo about, I think it was 2010 and I brought a group there and it was wonderful. Egypt was fantastic. Talk about history. Mm. Incredible. Then we had the Arab Spring. I believe that was spring of 2011. And I was invited to speak at a conference in Cairo that December, that following December. So like 13 months after I had just been there. And, to, and when I got there, you know, I was, I was, you know, wondering whether I should go because you, you watch the news and Egypt is Chaos. on fire. Yeah. It it's like on it. fire. Yeah. You know, when I got there, cause I decided to go, I did research and I looked at it. And when I got there, we went to the Egyptian museum in Cairo, which is right next to, um, is a Tahrir square. I believe is the name of the the main square there, which was where you saw the demonstrations and things. I'm sorry if I'm wrong there, but um, it's right next to it. And there was some demonstrations out there. There was people with picket, you know, signs and stuff like that. But if you had looked at the news, you would have thought the whole country was on fire. Wow. And that's just not the case. Uh, even, you know, I, I'm looking at going to Greece this fall and everyone I tell is like, Oh, isn't Greece on fire? Or, you know, aren't they having terrible trouble with fires there? And if, you know, yes, it's a, it's a problem, you know, but I, you know, and I'm totally guessing, but I'll bet if one or 2% of the, the country is, you know, actually affected by that, it's probably a lot. So we, we, you know, people watch the news and I think they just make these assumptions instead of doing any kind of research and uh, they talk themselves out of it. And I think it's a real shame. Because uh, they talk about missed opportunities and, uh, you know, going to uh, to uh, Egypt after the Arab Spring when tourism was down 95 percent was fantastic. Really? Could you imagine? You know, I was there 13 months earlier in the Egyptian Museum, which is where King Tut's tomb is and everything, all these incredible uh, antiquities and treasures. Uh, you, you know, you were kind of side by side. You couldn't, uh, you know, barely look at something. It was so crowded. The next 13 months I was there later, we were the only nine people in the whole museum. Hmm. It was fantastic. You know, so that, that's the way I look at it. I think it's an opportunity. You know, even if we see in the news pictures of California these days, there's fires, there's mudslides, you know, you would think, you know, the whole state is, is engulfed and obviously that, yeah. that's not the case. So I was pretty fortunate. My father was an Italian immigrant. And so um, third uh, third grade, first day of summer, uh, he, he 
gives me a suitcase and says, put your clothes in here. So I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. So he, he proceeds to take me to the bus stop in New Haven, tells the bus driver to drop me off Terminal 1 at JFK, shows, gives me a picture of my grandmother, gives me a plane ticket, and gives me a bus ticket. So 10 years old, I, you know, with a suitcase, I get on, I get to JFK, I find somebody, I get on, I'm guessing TWA, I fly to Milan, I meet my grandmother, I meet my uncle, and I'm, and I'm there for 11 weeks. And so I proceed to do this every other summer. I mean, imagine now my father would probably be arrested, right? If he's like the 10 year old, but I, that's an unbelievable story. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. He didn't even bring me to the airport. He just put me on a bus. And, uh, wow. and so I would spend many, many summers there. I, I knew the language a little bit, but you get to know it more when nobody speaks English or very few and met all my cousins and all my aunts and uncles and, you know, got submerged in Southern Switzerland and, and, and Southern Italy with the culture and everything and language was a big part of it. So I, it, it shaped my, my, my childhood and my adulthood, just knowing how others live. And I just don't think uh, a lot of Americans see that they, they summer somewhere else in the U S maybe at a lake or something or yeah. not too far, but they don't really experience Europe like that. No, that, that's an unbelievable story, Joey. I, I love it. Um, yeah, I was exposed to travel fairly young. My parents used to take us down to Mexico every other year or so. And uh, I had grandfather, grandmother that, that lived down there. So uh, that was kind of my first foray into international travel. But by myself, uh, at 15, I studied in Spain for a summer. Wow. And then the next summer I studied, uh, I was a volunteer in Peru with my high school. The next summer I volunteered in Venezuela. Oh my goodness. And the next summer I studied in Mexico City. Now I'm 15 to 17, 18 years old, so quite a bit older than 10. Um, but that was me traveling on my own. My parents were very open and uh, glad for me to travel like that. They knew it was the probably the best education you could possibly get. And uh, I don't have any children, but my cousins do and uh, their high school age and my, you know, my sister and stuff. Uh, and so I do nothing but encourage them to take these study abroad programs. I mean, talk about an opportunity, just wonderful. And unfortunately, a couple of uh, their children got hit by uh, COVID. Mm. Or not, not that they got it, but the you know their programs were interrupted by COVID, and so they had to come home after like a couple of weeks instead of staying for four or six months. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, international travel is the best education anyone can get. Absolutely. And you did all that traveling by yourself? Did you have a cousin? or? Wow. Well, I, I wasn't with my parents, but of course, I was with groups, oh, with like groups. Uh, my high school, you know, and, and a, a volunteer group. Yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting. And yeah, just the culture and the education you get, ex you know, you get, and I mentioned the language before, even... Even, even I'll, I'll just say this, the way the Italians specifically, just the way they swear, it's just very different from the way we swear. And it's just, it's really part of, you know, of the way they communicate, of the way they live. And uh, I, I would, would love to get that experience in another country, but it's just not going to be possible. There, of course, technology makes it a little easier. There's plenty of translator, Google Translate and Duolingo, which I use now and uh, to refresh myself in Italian. I plan on going back next summer. But uh, just the culture itself, 
uh, is, um, is so important to so many Americans, I believe. And I think they'd be better for it. No doubt about it. Uh, just being exposed to other cultures, seeing how other people live, learn how they think. Um, a lot of uh, other cultures revere their older people, their elderly, much differently than we do. And so learning how that works and just getting a different perspective. You know, if you don't go anywhere, all you know is where you where you are. Um, and so I think that every time we travel, we we learn something and that becomes a part of us. And you can't help but, you know, have that adjust your perspective a little bit to, uh, I think, make you a better person. Yeah, a more well-rounded person. Well-rounded. Yeah, that's what yeah. I say. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that whenever I, I'll see what you think of these tips, but people ask me, you know, in Italy, I always say two tips. One is that when you're looking for something to eat, ask the cops because uh, <laughs> the concierge, the cab drivers, they all get paid. They all get influenced somehow and they'll drive. And so the cops have no money in it and generally they're nice and they'll, they'll give you good advice. And the second tip is if you're going to get wine, get it in the carafe. It's local. It's probably yes. better than what you're going to get in the bottle and it's going to be less expensive. What are your thoughts on those? Love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm all for the uh, house wine. It's almost always the best. It's, uh, it's, it's fresher, which, you know, with wine maybe doesn't mean it's better necessarily, but it's certainly the price is right. There's plenty of it. Uh, you know, they're not going to serve you a bad wine. Um, so I think that's a great tip and, uh, yeah, cops absolutely, um, you know, go to the places where the menu is not in English, mm. uh, go to the places where it's on a chalkboard and it changes every day. Uh, so that, you know, it's fresh, it's what's available, uh, go in and say, you know, let me have it. Whatever is the specialty of this area of the day, I'm in for it and just accept it, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, because it's going to be great. And so, um, I, I'm one of those people that I'll try anything twice, uh, especially when it comes to food. And so, uh, I, and, and I, you know, it's funny. I watch some of these travel shows with these professional chefs and cooks and things. And sometimes I, you know, they're, they're wherever they are and I won't name names, but, uh, this one particular one, you know, he'll get the, they'll give him the, the local specialty or a different thing that he's never tried or a local liqueur or, you know, a hard liquor and he'll like spit it out or act like, you know, he's going to throw up or something. Really? I'm like, that is so uncool you know that it's so culturally unaware and this is a an internationally renowned chef and i i think part of it is maybe he does it for effect or mm -hmm. something but it's i i just can't believe that he has this big travel show and does those kinds of things i think it's very rude <laughs> absolutely you know we talked about language food is the just as important or maybe yeah. i mean it, it's just the way my relatives in southern italy eat i mean they it's it's truly you know uh, farm to table you know and yeah. and they walk there, nobody's overweight you know but they they eat and there's always bread and wine at you know every meal and um they just enjoy it they take their time uh, and they argue and they laugh and they uh it's just the the just the way they eat is so 
when I tell them preposterous things like, you know, there's coffee cups in the car and they drink coffee while you're driving. And they say, why, why would you do that? <laughs> and they just don't get it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I find myself falling back into that when I come back to the States. Mm. And the one thing that I'm looking forward to in these next couple months of travel that I've come coming up is the food. And the farm to table, the freshness, the actual taste of it, the coffee, uh, you know, the, the locally made wine and beer. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, sometimes food is just something that I, I have to have right. when I'm here in the States. You know, it's, I do it and then I wait until I'm starving. I eat whatever I can find. And that's just not healthy extremely not healthy. I, my father's yeah. village in Italy, I, I remember they, 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 they go, um, boar, boar hunting, they call it chingiale, you know? So they, they caught one that everybody was excited. We're going to have this tonight, you know, and they, somebody else gets something and they share it and they kind of barter. And, uh, yeah, just the way they treat food is just so different. Now, when you do your tours, do groups come to you and tell you what you want or do you kind of create it and then invite? I uh, have done it the second part. So I create a tour. I go to places typically that I'm interested in because I think I need to be interested in it to be able to you know, sell other people on joining me. And so I go to places that I'm interested in and I'll almost always go there and scout first. So I'll go to the place by myself with a local guide, with my local tour operator in the place, uh, see everything, try everything, meet all the hotel and restaurant owners and service providers, guides, things like that. And I'll see two or three times the amount of um, stuff that we'll actually do on the tour because as a single person or with a guide, I can do them a lot quicker and You know, I don't need to be two hours at a museum necessarily. Not that we do a lot of museums on my trips. I kind of leave that for free time. But, uh, you know, any activity, I could, I just want to get a, a taste of it. Uh, and so I might do six activities in a day instead of the two that we'll do with the group for a longer period of time. And then I, uh, you know, put together the trip, that a trip that makes sense uh, logistically and is most efficient and, uh, you know, uh, gives variety. Um, I just created this new brand called a la Campania experiences. I don't know if you found that on my websites, uh, in your research, but, uh, as you probably know, as an Italian American, you know, a la Campania means to the countryside yes. and Campania is actually my mother's maiden name. Yeah. And so I, uh, it's a, it's a bit of an homage to her as well, but, uh, these tours are about going to the countryside and staying in private agriturismos, uh, private castles, wonderful boutique hotels, um, former uh, villas, uh, homes, and things like that, and really experiencing the place in depth and not moving around so much, Mm. um, you know, for longer periods of time. Because I do, I, I do, and I've done trips in the past where we'll go for 14 days and we'll see know, five or six different places for two or three nights and they're great and you get to see a lot, but you only see a little of a lot. And so as I mature and uh, travel more and more, I, 
I prefer to see less, but more in depth and really get into the culture, learn about it. Uh, These properties are um, destinations in and of themselves. Uh, usually you're like, okay, I can't wait to get out of the hotel because, you know, I'm traveling. I don't want to be at the hotel. Well, when you're staying at 11th century castle and it's like a museum, you know, you might be more willing to stay there and there's a swimming pool. And I mean, you know, just because I, I think when we travel, we, we tend to want to just see and do everything and, I can understand that because I used to be like that, but I think as I travel more now, I'm more about just immersing myself and having, you know, taking it in almost by osmosis and uh, being in that one place longer. Yeah, that that sounds wonderful. And you get the hotels, you arrange transportation, you buy plane tickets and... Only if there's internal flights, which on the Alicampania trips, there's usually not because, like I said, they're more uh, concentrated mm-hmm. on smaller areas, one, maybe two locations. Uh, but on certain trips, like my Cambodia trip, we have an internal flight. But I don't arrange the flights to and from the destination. I tell people, uh, you know, where they should be when. Like we usually have a, a welcome dinner the first evening you know, try to arrive by 3 p.m. that day on whatever flight, come in early, we can arrange extra hotel nights. But people want to use different airlines. They're coming from different places around the world. They want to go first class, back of the bus, you know, whatever. And so uh, I I let them, you know, the frequent flyer miles, whatever. So I let them arrange that with my instruction. Cambodia, I, I know a family from Cambodia. That sounds wonderful. One of my favorite destinations. Um, it really is. So one place that I didn't know too much about. And then a, one of my clients slash friends of mine says, I got I got to take you to Cambodia. I've been there 10 times. We, we got to go. I said, okay, let's go. And uh, so I went and I fell in love with it. Just wonderful. The food is off the charts. The people are amazing. Uh, the photography is wonderful. The the ancient sites like Angkor Wat right. are just uh, top of the line, you know, as, as great as the great pyramids and, you know, the Eiffel tower or anything else that you can possibly compare it to. It's right up there, you know, 1200 years old. So just outstanding. And, uh, and the people are just wonderful. And I do these things called tuk-tuk adventures and uh, I rent these tuk-tuks, and it's kind of like a, a motorcycle on the front of a four seats in the back that people facing each two facing each other, and it's a very popular form of transportation in that part of the world. And uh, so I rent these tuk-tuks for us, and we just go out into the countryside and see what we can see. And if we see something interesting, we pull over, and almost. 100% of the time, the people are, you know, welcome us into their home, show us their way of life, what they're doing. Uh, to me, that's the best part of travel. How about on elephants? Is that like in Thailand? Do you ever do that? Yeah, we've done the elephants in uh, India and yeah. Cambodia. I'm I'm a little bit on the fence about that activity these days as I learn more about it. Mm. And so it's something that I've made optional for people, but uh, we did use to include it. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest with you, because you you never know how the animals are being treated. And 
So uh, I, I let people make that decision themselves. So I'm trying not to include that kind of an activity on our trips. Would there be, well, let's go right into that. Are there other activities or even countries that you've been to that you won't recommend any longer? Um, no, not really. I mean, there's certainly trips that I've done and don't do now because I can only do eight or 10 trips a year myself and I lead all my trips. Um, and, but I want to go to these places. I I mean, I want to go to new places. And so I've done Morocco seven or eight times. Mm. Um, I, uh, I've done a lot of countries many, many times and it's kind of like, okay, been there, done that. Let's create a new itinerary. So I keep my interest and I need to appeal to my clients as well, because I have some clients that have been on 15 or 20 of my trips Wow! and they want to, you know, they want something new. And so I'm creating new itineraries for them as well. So it really just depends. But as far as a place that uh, kind of like I've done a trip and wouldn't go back, I can't really think of any uh, that are like that. You've been to New Zealand and Australia? I have, not with groups. Uh, That was part of my round-the-world trip that I did way back in 1988. So I did go there. Yeah, wonderful places. I hear. Yeah, I hear wonderful. And uh, you've got these great uh, kind of short videos on their YouTube channel where you kind of give tips. I was watching the passport one, just kind of backing up all your documents. I mean, there's another, you know, we hear about these accidents or, you know, mistakes, people lose their passport and things like that. And um, perhaps another reason why a lot of Americans don't like to travel, but you just have to make backup and you have to be careful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it'd be street smart. And um, I, Knock on wood, I've never lost a passport. I've never gotten pickpocketed. I've never had any kind of a major issue happen to me uh, while traveling. And so uh, I think part of that is, you know, maybe luck, but it's also being aware and minimizing those opportunities for the thieves or for bad things to happen to you, whether it's someone else to do it to you or not. Uh, Planning ahead doing research. And, uh, you know, these tips that I've, uh, that I, I, I call them my two minute travel tips. Some of them are longer than two minutes, but uh, I like to think there's a lot of good information there and, uh, their tips. Uh, some of them I've had to learn the hard way. Hmm. Other ones are just like, gosh, you know, I just automatically, I diversify all my stuff. I, you know, I got a passport in this pocket. I've got my ID in this pocket with, you know, credit cards in that pocket. It's a little bit of cash in this one. You know, it just makes sense. You know, pickpocket's not going to like go into four or five different pockets. They can only get into one pocket quickly at a time. So all they can get is, you know, let's say 20% of my stuff. So uh, I'll tell a quick story. I had a, I was traveling with a, a, an ex and a girlfriend a long time ago and she had, you know, showed me that she had her, her credit cards, passport, uh, driver's license, money. I think even, uh, what do you call, uh, traveler's checks back then, uh, in this one portfolio and she put it in her backpack. Girls were used to wear these uh, backpack purses back sure. then. And I said, are you sure you want to have all that in one place? And you know, maybe give me your passport and I'll put it here. And you put your cash there. She said, no, no, don't tell me how to travel. You know, I know how to travel. So, okay. 
Well, sure enough, uh, we're walking around and I see her backpacks zipped open. And I said, did, did you know that your backpack's open? She goes, what are you talking about? She takes it off. Sure enough, that portfolio is gone. And they got everything in one fell swoop right. because she had everything, you know, and there's the old adage. And sometimes I believe this, you know, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense, but she obviously wasn't watching her basket. And, uh, the kind of funny thing is that we think that it, it actually happened inside a church. Oh, wow. Where you at least expect it. You know, you put your, you let your guard down. You're maybe bumping up against people and, uh, you know, more forgiving. And if someone does bump up against you and we think that that's probably where it happened. So it's, you never know. A shame. So I'm more about diversifying. Right. Makes perfect sense. Ralph, what's going to happen to the cruise industry? Well, I think they will come back. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like that kind of travel. Um, I've only been on a big cruise one time, and that was with uh, about 30 family members 25 years ago. Uh, we had some sort of celebration and it was fun, but, uh, you know, that amount of people concentrated in one place for long periods of time. Um, I, you know, I'm, I think it's, uh, people like to travel that way. So I think it, you know, we have short memories, you know, after, I don't know, three or five years, I think I'm hoping that this COVID, I think we're always going to have to live with some form of COVID, uh, and so that's why we just need to kind of get back to travel and get back to our lives safely. But, um, you know, that kind of travel is, it, it, it's tough. I, I love river cruises. Mm. Um, I've done some river cruises with groups. Um, and, uh, we've done, uh, the Danube and, um, the Rhine, I believe, but, uh, what a great, you know, this way you're only with maybe 125 people. And you're not off at sea for, you know, overnight or something where you can't see anything. You're right in a river where, you know, you look out and there's beautiful castles mm. and scenery all around you almost all the time. And they go through the interesting parts during the day and they go through the less interesting parts and the locks and things like that at night. And, you know, they've got it wired and the food is incredible. So, uh I don't know. I think uh, there's certain types, a certain uh, sector of people will always want to do cruises, but I've got to think that uh, with those kinds of fixed costs that they have, it's going to be difficult for them for a while. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Do you ever set up golf trips? I have not done golf trips. I do have a very good friend of mine who does golf trips and that's his specialty. Um, I have a, my best friend just, he uh, goes on golf trips and he told me that he'll, he probably won't go again because these guys go to wonderful places. Like they, he, the last one he did was Spain and Portugal. He said it was a, a 10 day trip. We golfed nine days. All I saw was, uh, you know, the inside of the van getting from one place to the next, wow. the, the, the club, the, the golf course for five or six hours and then next thing I knew, we were on our way to the next place because they must have gone to five different locations throughout Spain and and uh, Portugal. And I'm like, God, you know, I could see golfing once or twice over that period. And then, you know, seeing the culture and food and things like that. He said, all I saw was golf courses. 
And in some places you could have been, I could have been anywhere. That's right. Yeah. You could have been in, uh, yeah. In Phoenix. Um, exactly. I usually hear golf trips in Ireland and in the UK, I seldom hear them in Portugal and Spain. There's a lot of golf courses. They're beautiful courses, especially in the South for sure. Very interesting. So, so if Americans, do they realize that there are services like yours, by the way, you got a great, you know, great podcast continental drifter with a group. What a great name. What a, what a great name. Uh, and, um, you know, I think people like yourself that are providing these kinds of service to make it a, to, you know, create this kind of buffer, uh, you know, that helps them in these countries. Uh, I think it's a, a great cause. And we always hear about these tour groups and everything, but we always kind of picture, like you said, 50, 60 people in a bus and being moved around and, uh, you know, not a lot of time in between, but these kind of personal ones, are they becoming more popular? I really think they are. Uh, yeah. Like you said, these big bus tours, man, you know, especially now. And what I will say, uh, I mentioned the a la Campania experiences that I created. Uh, I started this brand maybe two or three years ago, and this was before COVID. But I unintentionally think that I was ahead of the curve for COVID because, like I say, these are staying, these are smaller groups staying in one or two locations not moving around in a common vehicle for six or eight hours like we might on the Morocco trip or some, uh, some of my other trips. And I think people are going to be less interested in, in doing that these days where they're hmm. you know, stuck in a closed vehicle for six or eight hours with uh, some strangers. And uh, my groups are only anywhere from four to ten people. And it's funny because I've been doing this so long now, 14 years, Mm. so many of my people know each other from different trips. Uh. It's really fantastic because they become really good friends. I become really good friends with them. And for me, it's more like traveling with friends than with clients. But uh, they know each other from different trips. And it's like, you know, yeah, I went to Iceland with Ralph. I went to, you know, Central Europe and. Uh, you know, you ought to go on the Iceland trip or blah, blah, blah. You know, say start selling each other on the different trips, which is unexpected. But, um, yeah, so these smaller groups are just wonderful. And I think there's a lot more people doing them. Uh, I think it's getting more competitive for the new companies that, you know, new people that are trying to do this. Uh, I think I got in at the perfect time. Uh, 14 years ago when I, I, like I said, I started doing this full time 14 years ago. And um, so that was kind of before social media really hit. And now though, with social media, you know, if someone's got a big following, you could probably fill up a trip pretty quickly Mm. because all you need is six or eight people. But uh, you know, and it looks like the absolute, most uh, fantastic job in the world. And it really is, but it's a job and it's work. And there's a lot of uh, moving parts. Uh, You know, I'm getting ready for these four trips coming up in September. And right now we're in late August. And these are back to back to back to back trips without a day off in between. And I never would normally do that, but it's because of COVID that two of those trips got moved from this past spring or even last fall. And I was able to kind of shoehorn them in between other trips because normally I always try to have at least two to three days off in between for myself 
but also just to get one from one place to another. And so, uh, but you know, it, as you can imagine when you're traveling by yourself or for your, with your family and you think about the logistics of, you know, just you, your planes, trains, and automobiles. And then you got to think about, you know, four groups to go into five different countries with different, uh, you know, insurance now and COVID restrictions and QR codes and stuff. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a rat's nest of stuff. But back to your point, that's why people choose, you know, group leaders like me, because right. they don't have to figure that out. You know, part of my job is figuring that out and then getting that across to my people, telling them what they have to do. Uh, you know, otherwise you have to research that all that stuff yourself. But, uh, you know, we, I get a lot of single women on my trips hmm. and they're, they're not necessarily not married, but they're just by themselves. Perhaps their husband or spouse partner doesn't travel uh, or is working for whatever reason. And they want to have, you know, they want to know that everything's laid out for them. Right. All the plans are made that they're with a group, you know, strength in numbers, safety in numbers. So uh, I think that's really appealing. And also I'll say that uh, people are more and more interested in learning a skill mm. when it comes to travel. Um, you know, pretty much any of us can you know, set up a trip where we sit on the beach for seven days, whatever, you know, for ourselves. But when you're talking about moving around a country, perhaps you want to learn photography. Mm. You want to learn about cooking or some other specialty, a language, yoga, you know, these, there's these special interest trips that I think uh, is really kind of, you know, a relatively new thing. I mean, they've been going on for a long time, but I think it's getting more and more popular. Very, very cool. And do you do any tours in the U.S. domestically? I, well, I started out, of course, doing my sure. U.S. tours here. I would used to do like two hour sit across the table from someone and teach them how to use their camera. Hmm. Um, or I would do walking tours in the local neighborhood in Southern California. Uh, you know, then I expanded to half day tours. Then we'd go to Joshua Tree National Park or Death Valley for the weekend. And it just kept expanding. Then I started bringing groups back to Chicago so that I could get a free ride back to Chicago. And I've done that uh, 12 or 14 times now. Uh, so during COVID, I actually did a couple Chicago tours. I did a, a Milwaukee tour which Milwaukee is a fantastic city that mm. a lot of people don't think about wonderful place. And, um, but I, I tend to do mostly international trips cause that's really my interest. I don't do too many here in the U S anymore. We were in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. We hired a, a tour guide and it just enriches the experience so much more. You just learn about so much of the history and the culture and take us to neighborhoods that, uh, I mean, um, you know, your skills um, are, are often underrated. You know, um, we, we need to be able to trust people like you that have do that groundwork so we can enjoy the experience of wherever we're traveling. Absolutely. And um, I also recommend for people that, uh, don't go on group trips and not everyone does or is interested. I, I think they should try it. And, but I think as soon as we think about a group tour, like you said, we think about this 40 or 50 person mm. bus. And to me that that's a nightmare, but for some people that's, they like that. Cause those are usually very inexpensive. Right. 
but they're inexpensive for a reason. Um, I prefer to create a more high end, a little bit more pricey tour, but you know, you're paying for a lot of value, but um, you know, the talking about the uh, you know, small groups and I got lost on my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, but, but this, uh, yeah, just hiring experts like yourself to oh, help with, yeah. With, with exactly. Travel. So what I do, what I recommend for people and oftentimes we forget is that in some places you can hire a local guide, perhaps with a car, or at least that you can meet them at some meeting point and then they can take you around a city via public transportation. They know it, you know, cause you get to a place, even me and I've traveled all over the world and, you know, I get to the local Metro and I may not know how to get a ticket. Right. You know, how does this box work? Cause it's in a different language. Sure. I could probably change it to English, but how do I even find that button? You know, it's a little, it's daunting. But you go with a local guide and oftentimes they'll even have a car and you can hire a guide in some places for uh, six or eight hours with a car for 50 or $75. So we did. That is the best money you will ever spend. Absolutely. Because they're going to get you to places you never would have found. They know the language. They know the culture. They'll answer all your questions. You know, tell them exactly, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in museums or monuments. I, I want to meet local artisans or I want to go to that, you know, that off the beaten path place for, you know, what's the specialty food here? I want to try that. Or how do they make the local cheese or the local, uh, uh, you know, hooch, the, uh, you know, white lightning, whatever it is, because every country's got theirs. Sure. And they're going to show you those things. To me, that's the, the wonderful thing about travel. Very, very cool. You, again, you got great tips on your site. I, remember I was watching ABC, always be charging. You got to keep those cell phones. You got to take pictures. You got to be, you've got so many great, great tips there. Uh, Ralph Velasco, what an absolute joy. So tell us how we can get in touch with you. We want to be able to see your photography. We want to be able to see your trips. We want to see everything about you. How do we do that? Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to bring everything under the Continental Drifter umbrella. So if you go to continentaldrifter.co, uh, that's my website. You can also uh, find links to my photo enrichment adventures, which uh, specifically are at photoenrichment.com. My a la Campania experiences are at alacampania.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social networks at Ralph Velasco. And also my YouTube channel, if you go to YouTube and uh, youtube.com slash Continental Drifter, you'll find my channel. And this is something that I created uh, about uh, nine or 10 months ago and uh, putting out a weekly a video about travel and or photography tips, uh, introducing people to places that I've been to over the years. And I've been you know, doing this, like I said, for 14 years and creating this video content over time and never really knowing what I was going to do with it. But man, am I glad that I did. And I wish I had created more, but uh, what I'm finding is that there's all these little vignettes of places within trips that, you know, experiences, people, foods, whatever restaurants that I went to things I tried. Um, you know, I'd love bread and going to, yeah, seeing how they make bread. It fascinates me that, right. Around the world, we can use water, uh, flour, and salt and create 
just hundreds of different types of bread. Amazing. And so that's something that really fascinates me. So I'm trying to share those kinds of experiences with people that they may not have uh, been exposed to, and then hopefully inspire them to get out and do these things as well and see that, you know, it is safe. It's, you know, you're not going to die from eating, you know, that those kinds of things. And uh, so I just love that. To me, that's the best part of travel is, is sharing it with others. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, Rob Velasco, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot and uh, it was great talking to you. And I'll, I'll look forward to, to continuing watching you out on social media and maybe eventually even a trip. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, I, I saw that you're a private pilot. I've got my private pilot's license too, although I haven't flown in quite a while. But uh, what, a, what a great thing to do, huh? Yeah, I, did, I haven't flown in a few years myself, but that was great fun. I was able to get to places. I'm in New England, to Martha's Vineyard and Block Island and Nantucket to these places very, very quickly. Yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. I, I appreciate it. Ralph, thanks again. You be well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations.